You're listening to Never Sleeps Network. Hey, fan people. It's your host, Aaron Broverman, reminding you that this episode of Speech Bubble on Never Sleeps Network at NeverSleepsNetwork.com is sponsored by Harry Tarantula. And the thing I love about comics are the crossovers. You know, those intercompany crossovers, DC versus Marvel, Batman versus Spider-Man, Spawn versus Daredevil. I mean, really, the sky's the limit. But I miss them. They don't happen so much anymore. But on the retail side, Harry Tarantula has a crossover on its own. You can go there for your comics fix and your cryptocurrency because they now sell Bitcoin. So you can get Batman and Bitcoin. It's pretty great, especially when people like uh, city councilor Norm Kelly are talking about maybe paying your taxes in Toronto, your parking tickets, those sorts of things with Bitcoin. Now, if you don't know what Bitcoin is, it's a decentralized currency. Leon can tell you all about it. As he says, the least interesting thing about Bitcoin is the price. So go over there, get your comics, get your cryptocurrency, get your Batman, get your Bitcoin, and tell Leon that Aaron sent you. You're listening to Speech Bubble, the podcast that goes one-on-one with Toronto's comic book luminaries. Here's your host, Aaron Broverman. Godspeed, old chum. Hey, fanboys and fangirls and fan persons! Welcome to another episode of Speech Bubble. I am your host, Aaron Broverman. You found us on Never Sleeps Network at NeverSleepsNetwork.com. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast needs met. And don't forget to follow us on social media at Speech Bubble Pod on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. With me today, we have Matthew Daly. He's uh, one of the darlings of the independent comic scene here in Toronto. Uh, He's best known as the artist behind the Mr. Monitor comic strip, uh, which appears in Broken Pencil magazine, which is the independent magazine for zine culture across Canada. He's also a Gene Day Award winner, which is the Schuster Award for Best Independent Comic in Canada. He won that in 2013 with Corey McCallum, his co-collaborator on The Pig Sleep. He has many other comics, including Errol Dynamic, which he's working on. That's a space opera He's sort of like the Captain Kirk of the uh, Matthew Daly comic universe. <laughs> anyway, welcome, Matthew. How are you? I'm good. Glad to be here. I'm Thanks glad to intro. have Thanks you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, you're you're a big supporter of our podcast. We know each other from seeing each other around at the Sidekick. I mm-hmm. think I went to an exhibit of your work before, Probably. like a bunch of years ago. What else, how else do I know you? I used uh, broken to, pencil because yeah, I used to, I used to review books. With yeah. broken pencil, 
and that's uh, where I met you actually. Yeah, yeah. At a writers meeting. Yeah, yeah. I, I think <laughs> Reviewers so. meeting. I think sorry. that's when we when we met officially. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, your girlfriend Lindsay Gibb used to be the editor. Yeah, my wife actually. Yeah, your wife. <laughs> yeah. Your wife used to be the editor. <laughs> yeah. Apologies. No, no. Worries. So anyway, um, yeah, that's that's kind of how we know each other. We have some friends in common. Mm-hmm. Uh, Adam Pascala is a friend of mine. Mm-hmm. And he used to be the books editor at Broken Pencil. Yep. So so that's really cool. I'm yeah. Used to him being called Adam. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, people look at you. It's always that. AG. So it's like, oh, yeah. Adam, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, I always yeah. forgot that's his name. <laughs> totally, totally. So, good to have you. Um I here. have gone through a few of your uh, stuff, but before we get into your work, uh, I want to get to know you a little bit. Like, sure. we haven't had an extended conversation before. Mm-hmm. So, uh, where did you grow up and uh, what was your early childhood like? Uh, I grew up in Brampton. It's like 45 minutes or so northwest of Toronto. Very, you know, suburban type of upbringing, kind of, uh, yeah, just sort of average, you know, in, you know, it's very much a, a hockey town. So I was kind of torn between like youthful, uh, hockey playing and kind of nerdier pursuits. And the older I got, like the nerdier pursuits went out in the end. So certainly once I, I needed glasses and was just kind of bored of hockey by that point anyway, it was just like a casual thing I had no real aspirations to uh for sporting glory and then just when i realized that i didn't like you know the jock cast very much either so so yeah you know just a variety you know just it was you know an interesting upbringing i'm you know great place to grow up i can't really complain about that and just yeah just from a young age just really young age always liked comics certainly probably like my earliest earliest experiences in comics reading, I guess, would have been in the newspaper, in particular Peanuts. I think it was just something my... Definitely from my mom came that, because my my room as a child was just completely, like, bedecked in Peanuts, like, curtains and bed sheets and stuff like that. And so, I, I think she had liked Peanuts growing up and whatnot, and probably passed that along as far as I can remember. And also just, yeah, my sister read a lot of um, like Archie's and Harvey comics and stuff like that. And so a lot of those were my first, first dabs into like comics enjoyment. Is your sister older? Or yeah, older sister. Oh, yeah. okay. Um, How many years? Uh, three and a half. Okay, cool. But that was just a childhood thing. Like she's, she doesn't read comics at all anymore but but her daughter is like a huge like so it's a com- you know it's another generation within our family that yeah. the comics reading continues um um and then yeah i guess also like growing up i mean i'm, I'm in my 40s now so in the 70s it was a lot of things like you know super friends cartoons on tv and and the like the 60s spider-man and certainly the, the adam west batman series were kind of this first like introduction to like superheroes and whatnot so it, it was a while before I was reading superhero comics, but like, so I experienced that side of things more through television and other mediums versus comics. And back then you sort of had to take what you could get in terms of what was on TV. Yeah, pretty comics. much. Yeah. I mean, especially up here, cause you know, there's at that time too, there were so few channels and you know, you're, you're getting a lot in from Buffalo and stuff like that. And that was certainly too how you know my love of Godzilla movies came in was from watching like the Buffalo stations and certainly they'd have like their monster movie Sundays or you know when I was like in first grade on March break there was a a week of of kaiju films on one of the Buffalo stations and I just like sat and like was completely engrossed by that like 
And so that really, between that and like the 70s Godzilla cartoon, that was another like formative influence on how I am now, I think for sure. That's awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. So when did you start getting into like uh, superhero comics and things like that? Probably more so when I was about like nine or 10, actually. I mean, I had a few, like the first superhero comic I had was when I was young, it was an issue of The Flash. And my only recollection of it, it's something I've tried to search search for and you know in the google years and it was like the story as i remember it was like the flash was i don't know if he was hallucinating this that he just kept running and he would melt and i just remember like this sort of like weird visceral memory of like a melted flash i don't know and like that was the first superhero book I ever read. And it was just kind of weirdly surreal and terrifying at the same time. Did your exposure to superhero comics come from the TV first? More so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. Like, yeah, like I said, with super friends and Batman and the, and the 60s Spider-Man and through toys probably as well. Right. And back then, like most of the comics were available at like the grocery store. Yeah, like exactly. That, right? I guess most of the comics just came to me, whatever my mom or whatever would buy, I guess whatever I wanted at the grocery store. And maybe it was, I, yeah, I'm trying to remember if it was like leaning more towards like toy line based stuff. Certainly at a certain, like by the early 80s when G.I. Joe and Transformers were a thing, that was, you know, what I was engrossed by. And then kind of like from there, it's like, oh, this is published by Marvel. Therefore, I'm just going to read everything Marvel puts out or whatever. And, and certainly friends I had at the time who were like really into X-Men and whatnot had that effect on me. And yeah, and that was just a few years of that, like... But by the time I was about like 10 or 11, I just stopped reading comics altogether. And oh, yeah? with the exception of like my mom would, my mom and dad would get me uh, every yearly prescription subscription to uh, GI Joe and Transformers. And that was sort of it. I just didn't really, I, I just couldn't keep, I think at that time it was like in Marvel world, it was around the time of secret wars. And I think it just was starting to get that annoying continuity nonsense where it just got too, I, even then I found it a bit too complicated to really find myself interested in. And so I just kind of stopped for a few years and I'd sort of knew and just from some friends who were more into it, but like, it really wasn't in my purview. It was kind of like, you know, toy line stuff, you know, pro wrestling and, you know, that was my junk culture consumption. And, and, and then by the time I was about, by the time I was about 13 friends, my friends of mine started going to a comic shop in Brampton. Like we didn't like, I didn't know of many comic shops, like especially where I, you're, you're in your sort of like little world. And the only time I would really go to comic shops was when I would come to visit my grandmother who lived in Etobicoke and there was a really good comic shop up on the Queensway and her neighbors, I was friends with her neighbor's kids who were around my age and, and they were comics readers. And so we, I would go there with, with them when I'd come to visit my grandmother, like on the March break, like she would take my sister and I off my parents' hands for the week. And so, so like those were my first real comic shop experiences. But Do you remember the shop? It was called Fantasy Warrior. Okay. And then eventually it moved closer to my grandmother when I was a bit older. It was just called Warrior Comics. And there was like, yeah, it was just an interesting, like there was so, it was weird because it was like, there was so much there. I remember at the time and like, as I was a spinner rack kid, and, you know, like there was this like, and I guess that was just the direct market was opening up. So there was this like huge variety of things there that like yeah at the time kind of just bewildered me and so within brampton like like i never started going to like brampton based comic shops probably until i was about 13 and that was the year the punishers first regular series came out and that was kind of 
formative for sure uh around that yeah the popularity of the punisher brought me back <laughs> yeah because you're like a rebellious kind of angst yeah teenager and yeah like, and yeah tied in like you know i was listening to heavy metal and you know <laughs> yeah pissed off at the world and yeah. like yeah what better than the punisher it's kind of it's amazing it's funny because like a lot of people i met in college it was the same thing like you know like you know even if they were really like alternative comics kids it's like no like the punisher got me <laughs> like that was perfectly like my mindset and it kind of went from there I think. For, for me it was it started out the regular like pedestrian spider-man stuff but mm. then as i got into like the teenage years and i started being like a tween kid it was spawn spawn oh yeah the big like oh my god it's like hell yeah <laughs> you know like like i i'm too old for the kids comic like, <laughs> you know too young for the vertigo comic. yeah so exactly Spawn is like the in-between transition sort of thing yeah exactly that's totally out with the punisher like the dark knight was when i was when i was 13 or the like the craven the hunter uh, series that went through Spider-Man. Yeah, the last last time. Yeah, sense. sorry. Yeah, yeah, that was a really like instrumental. Like, mm-hmm. oh, this isn't. And I think like a lot of those things were. It made me sort of appreciate beyond the collecting aspect, which I think like my friends were really into like the you know buy two copies and bag it type of nonsense, and I wanted to like read the stuff. I think versus that, like I'm not like, and of course, I mean the collecting stuff was like was enticing i'm not gonna say that i didn't get into that but i think beyond that like yeah you saw the like the literary value yeah 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 precisely like certainly went yeah like around that time once i read dark knight too that was like like holy shit like this yeah opens like a whole other world because craven last hunt and like dark knight and like watchmen all came out around the same yeah. time like the yeah 80s sort of 86 87 yeah. yeah and certainly yeah like once again i was yeah going through puberty at the time so you know angst and like you know and i thought i was smarter than everyone else too so it was right. like and it was like i guess in the like larger media like comics were starting to become like more legit and you, mm. you had the batman movie too coming yeah. out in like 89 and yeah whatever. so did you feel like you were on like the forefront of like like some new media that you knew was respected for you but then as soon as it started like getting respected in like the wider culture you're like see See? (laughs) i think i became i know i got a lot more reactionary i think at that point (laughs) once i saw the like like the people who you know gave me grief for like my you know for eighth and ninth grade for like having my you know just being obsessive comic book reader or something like that that all of a sudden they're like i see them in line for batman and you know wearing batman shirts that were you know you could find at the bay like ad, ad nauseum like it's like god damn it like it's kind of like that feeling everyone i think it was like a you know when nirvana broke in the early 90s everyone who's like into punk and underground music when suddenly like everyone's you know suddenly into nirvana it's kind of that weird like resentment <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> like i love them when they were like underground but now they've like sold out yeah like, yeah like, the people around me have totally sold out like i was into this before yeah like, exactly i think it's yeah. it, in that sense it was good because it, it really pushed me into widening my horizons in terms of reading because like the same summer that batman came out i that was like the year i like i bought mouse and violent american like I'd, I'd sort of come down once or twice a year to go to the snail or something like that and i remember buying like violent cases and mouse that year there and like those two were just you know like that really steered me into a whole other direction too well, and back then like mark asquith was like really curating like what mm-hmm. people should read and yeah he was, he was like one of the first people to like turn on to like neil gaiman yeah stuff, exactly right? and because the snail used to have a newsletter i guess that he wrote and it was a newsletter it was a snail newsletter that had something about violent cases like and it was this great mm-hmm. panel from it that like really made it seem enticing and it took me about a year to finally like buy it because it wasn't it wasn't 
available at the shop I frequented in Brampton. And, and you know, it was one of those things I'd have to come down to Queen Street to like hit up all the comic shops in one day. Like yeah. back when Queen was great. <laughs> it's, it's really cool to know that like as soon as like the mainstream gets into superhero comics, you went to like the what would become like the Vertigo independent yeah. comics. Yeah. So, so you were always sort of like the outsider, but like in a in a totally good way. You know, you 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 yeah, went, I found, you yeah, went to like the literary between. Yeah, I was certainly I was interested interested in the greater whole and, right. and but at the, you know still you know i'd read you know superhero books i was still a big batman yeah i had to become a secret batman fan <laughs> after the movie and and whatnot but so yeah i saw it twice that summer i'm not gonna lie <laughs> like uh, bought the toys like there's still that fanboy fanboy type of mindset before, yeah, yeah, yeah but as i was yeah. i think by the end of that year i kind of got pretty i sort of moved for like moved on like yeah especially like reading like the first Mr. X collection was really instrumental. And that fall was when comic book confidential aired on city TV. And that was really like this amazing, you know, just foray into like a whole, you know, I never knew anything about say like crumb or like the Hernandez brothers or uh, like Harvey Kurtzman and, you know, in the early days of mad, like I knew mad magazine, but I never knew obviously like the early days and like the subversive early things. And that really like, that really brought that forward and it showed like the the ability of comics as like a medium yeah as an, yeah. As an art form definitely yeah. and and sort of the multi-layered you know beast that it could be like and definitely i think you know like from that like the stuff that came out of like i was my first exposure to raw like the stuff that was in raw magazine yeah. for the talk with Francoise and, and art spiegelman and the stuff they were doing there i thought was like even at the time i thought was pretty cool like it's like i couldn't do stuff like that but i think like a lot of that like seeped into what i what i did like down the line for sure like you know just the potential of you know the artsy knit you know the artsy comics or like the punk comics and certainly as i that was like the same year when i when like you know in and when i was 15 that was 1989 so like i was really getting into punk and so a lot of those elements were kind of coming to, together so like what were punk comics like i started kind of finding like when I would come into the city, I wasn't necessarily buying it, but I was like at least flipping through it in stores. Right. And you got to see that like punk, uh, you know, as a form could be done. Yeah. In comics. Yeah, exactly. Like an early, it's funny because an early example of that was like when I was, when I was younger and going to that warrior comic shop near my grandmother and I'd come down specifically to like, I was really obsessively collecting web of Spider-Man at the time. And I was like, cause I, this was about a year and a half after the series started. So I was kind of like picking up all the back issues. And so I went there to buy a bunch that weren't at my local shop. And I remember flipping through, I think it was issue seven of yummy fur. And it was in that, at the happy clown, because uh, I just saw the cover, like, what the hell is this type of thing? Yeah. And it was, and it started off, and it had the whole thing with like that, like, with the Chet character, like stabbing Josie as they're having sex, oh, wow. and like Ed discovering like the Ronald Reagan head on his penis, like, and it was just this like. What? what the hell am I looking at? It was just completely like, you know, I was really like kind of disturbed by it. Like, yeah. And and then a few years later, like I picked up the book and it was like, when I, once I could read it in context and was a bit more, you know, quote unquote mature, like it was this completely like mind blowing and hilarious <laughs> book. Like, you know, like very like influential, certainly as a, 
That, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, I mean, a lot of people have this moment where, like, they're into comics for a while as a kid, mm-hmm. and, and then they, like, leave it eventually and, like, mm-hmm. never touch it again. But, I mean, eventually you'd become, like, a comic artist. Mm-hmm. So, what happened there? Like, how did you decide, like, I want to do this? Like, how did this become, like, a thing that you carried over into adulthood and were like, I want to I do this now? I th- like, um, I drew my own comics like as a kid when i was like obsessed with gi joe i used to just do like a weekly gi joe comic where it was like on like legal sized paper and ballpoint pen i do these like just <laughs> ham-fisted brutal like like 60 panels on one page and it was always just you know ridiculously over the top violent and it was just like from that age i was just doing these things to entertain myself right and certainly, like, w- through high school, I had thought, like, the character, the Mr. Monitor character I actually created when I was, like, 15, like, just once again to entertain myself in history class that I did this weird strip. And it just came to me. I just did this, like, yeah, I'm bored in class. And so, I would just kind of do these things and keep them in my binder and not really do anything with it. And then... But I think, like, through high school, it's like I realized, like, I just really wanted, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to do comics. I wanted to draw things, you know, whether I was going to write them or not or what. Like, you know, I, I, you know, I, I thought I was a deep thinker and I would always make these, like, complex or what I saw as complex ideas for comics that never happened or whether they were just, you know, angst-filled, like, my feelings of being like what I would view myself as an idealized teenage punk or something like that, like, or like, you know, skate, you know, like a skateboarding type of comic. Like I didn't skateboard, but I, you know, wanted to <laughs> like, right. so I could just, but like, and it was, so it was definitely always in the back of my head. And certainly once I went, when I went to college, I'd wanted to get into animation thinking that it was the kind of the closest thing to comics and realized it wasn't like, so I, I got into illustration and most of my pe- most of the people I went to illustration with were comics fans. So it was always kind of around me. And by my, my second year of illustration, I like started doing my first minis and just kind of trying to, yeah, tell me, yeah, tell my own stories. And certainly, you know, whether I was going to become professional with that was sort of an afterthought at that point. I think certainly in like illustration was like, I guess, foremost in a professional sense. And, but like the comics were kind of this great outlet outside of, outside of just the schoolwork and whatnot. That's awesome. Yeah. So when you created Mr. Monitor, when you were like 15, just as like a doodle, cause you were like bored. Yeah, yeah. Was it always like that geometric style with like the half circle head? No, he was, and, like, di- he, was kind of thing? he was geometric and since more, he was like this weird box shaped thing. It was like, I was really into this comic. There's a comic in the late eighties called zone. I think it started fan. It was like, it started at fanographics, but I got it. Like it was a dark horse thing. And it was like this weird, like, sci-fi character and he was this really boxy alien type of thing and like it looked like he was just sort of like alien in this kind of like almost like hernandez brothers-esque world and stuff like that like it was sort of this like this weird junk culture detritus thing and like just like i loved the design of the character sort of the first kind of weirdly geometric thing i'd enjoyed i guess and so just kind of like so he was more of this kind of like more humanoid looking kind of like square-headed, square-bodied kind of character. And like dataism and I'm, stuff like that? Or? I suppose probably a bit of abstract kind of, okay. yeah. It was before I just discovered dataism, so okay. um, there was a combination of that and then there's also this, like, in, this, in the back of my head was this illustration that Mike Kaluta did of the robot from 
from uh, Metropolis, from the Metropolis oh, book yeah, he yeah, did. Yeah. And like, so I just had these two images in my head while I was like spaced out in class. And, and then from that just came this like ridiculous strip about Mr. Monitor coming to the city and then getting hit by a bus and thrown in the garbage. And like, you know, that was just sort of, I thought it was a one-off and then just kind of did like follow-up stories that were kind of just weird and stupid. Yeah. <laughs> I so didn't call him Mr. Monitor at the time. Sounds like he was more like robotic looking even than he is now. Kind of, kind of yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. Like, or sort of how I viewed a humanoid lizard. Maybe, I don't know, maybe a combination of that and like the way the aliens looked in V. I don't know if that yeah. was in the back of my head. Yeah. Because like, Killer Croc Because like something. back then it's like Mr. Monitor, like computer monitor, but now it's like Mr. Monitor, like fish monitor or something like no, that. No, it's more like so. he's a, it's a, the name, I mean, he's a monitor lizard. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because he was, he was yeah. meant to be, yeah. Because I originally called him the really uncreative name of lizard boy when i was 15 because i was really intelligent and um when i started doing minis i like just revisited those stories i did when i was 15 right how i could you know i wanted to rename them something better and so i thought like monitor lizard and i liked the alliteration and i guess it goes twofold now that he's kind of like a detective character he's monitoring like but that was sort of very subconscious yeah and so then it was like so i did it like I kind of like when I was doing my zines, he was like the backup story in the zines, but people liked those Mr. Monitor stories a bit more because they were just kind of more like single panel pages and kind of like uh, just, you know, sort of almost told like a children's book more so than than like word balloons and, and dialogue based and stuff like that. Be right. Like, Mr. Monitor, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, it would just be that type of thing. And then... By the end of the 90s, I stopped doing comics for a while. Like, I just stopped self-publishing. And then somewhere in my, like, early 30s, early 30s crisis that I wanted to bring the character back and was kind of just, like, wanted to do a wholesale redesign of the character that kind of worked more so to how I was doing things at the time. That's how the more geometric, like, half-circle head and and stuff like that kind of came into play. It was, yeah, once I had developed a, a really confident style illustration wise it kind of so how did this style come to be like i i kind of want to describe it for the listeners who've never sure. seen your work <laughs> it is like super geometric and it's also characterized by like if a character has arms <laughs> their arms sort of go all over the place but like an angular shape yeah and like triangles and like it's it's very like hard edges and mm. like shapes and like geometric all the bodies are, are are geometric and that sort of thing uh but i but i always get drawn to the arms and like where <laughs> the arms are going and they're like super long like story. way more long than like normal anatomy <laughs> yeah. is supposed to be and way more like rectangular and angular than yeah no one than, should have that many joints yeah yeah, yeah exactly, exactly so my question that immediately came to mind when i was reading your comics was like I always, you know, knew your style, but I've always wanted to ask you, like, where did that style come from? When I started doing illustration professionally, it was, I started using Adobe Illustrator as my primary tool. And so, I mean, with that, it's just, I found it easier that as opposed to, you know, creating, you know, complex forms and stuff like that, like basic shapes work best and, and whatnot. And, and the arms just kind of came out of like, every time I, I don't know, just something I always did in my sketchbook where I had characters with these noodly arms or just arms that kind of went weird. And so once I got a bit more me, uh, confident, I think, in in using the program, I started bringing like the weird arms in and whatnot. And just, yeah, I don't know, it just became this 
this kind of uh, go-to thing subconsciously, I guess. And yeah, probably like, yeah, I don't know, either influenced by weird cartoons I'd seen or like, you know, like 50s, 50s style animation became really, uh, animation design became sort of really inspirational, like in my, in my early 30s and whatnot. So that started, I think a lot of it came from that. And it's like, a, like just a lot of weird <laughs> illustration. Have you read like Boulevard of Broken Dreams? And like, it's like, very, it's like a Kim. From, oh, from Kim Deitch? Yeah, from Kim Deitch from like the, the um, 60s that. comic movements and stuff. And he did like, his father was like an animator. Yeah, yeah. Actually, he, I'm a huge he, fan of Gene Deitch. It's yeah. Like, and, yeah. And, <laughs> so. and he did like a, like a, he's got this like cat sort of Mickey Mouse-ish character. Mm -hmm. But like, you know, more mature kind of thing. And like, and like, it's very much in like, I guess listeners would see it as like the Cuphead Disney style, mm. like this graphic novel, Boulevard of Broken Dreams and stuff. Yeah. Not, you know, not. so it's like, it's like really crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So when you said like 50s animation design, that's sort of what, that's sort of kind of thing that I Yeah. Yeah. Like I'd seen when Fanagraphics started putting out collections of like Gene Deitch's art and, and Jim Flora and whatnot, like that, like, yeah, so that was about like 10, 12 years ago and that stuff was you know, really amazing. And there was a book called Cartoon Modern, I think, which was like a really like nice compendium of like 50s animation styles and designs and stuff like that. And Did your style, was it always abstract? More so, I think the more I started working, doing more illustration and more like design-based illustration and whatnot, that it really started to abstract itself a bit more. How did I that come into play? Like the illustration, how did you get doing that professionally and was there like a transition period between like an old style and a new style? yeah there was um okay. yeah so like i went to school i went to sheridan for illustration and you know that was in the 90s so like computers like the computers were just really starting to be used and whatnot and so it like i had dabbled a bit in that i really had sort of this more of a conventional style like you know really worried about anatomy like a lot of my early zines while not an anatomically perfect were, you know, I was really concerned with how, you know, things were set up and how, you know, whether it looked like somebody was holding something properly, that type of thing. And I guess, I mean, yeah, certainly by my last year of illustration, I probably started to abstract a bit more. I think once I got exposed to a wider variety of, of illustration that it kind of started to seep in. So I started using, like, I started working a lot in like mixed media and whatnot, like using like heavy paints, but on like my, I always used like a cardboard base because I like really like the cardboard textures and and so that like it, yeah and just I think like the nature of illustration and the necessity to do something really fast really taught me how to abstract things a lot better because you can't dawdle over something for you know ages trying to perfect it or something like that. And also too, like I guess, as you do stuff professionally, you realize your limits. Yeah, you, you exactly. Re you realize yeah. like, what you can't, what you can't yeah. do. I knew I could never, even from a young age, I could never draw like you know George Perez or or Don McFarlane. Like I just didn't have that capability, and I'm also just I'm lazy too. So it's like the simpler the better, and like that certainly seeped into two things as I went ahead and. Like once I graduated college, I spent a few years just 
finding myself and wasn't really like focused on busting into the industry or anything like that. And I wasn't ready outside of college. I knew that too. I would have like, had I like shopped a portfolio, I would have been crushed horribly and probably not stuck with it. So I just kind of, you know, I was finally finding out, you know, that I could do this, but like not ready for professionals. So I just kind of spent a few years, you know, working part-time job and, you know, screaming in a band and, and using that as my creative pursuits and doing zines. And it's about the time, by the time my band ended and I had, uh, in that period I'd gotten like serious again, but like started, um, I'd started learning the computer, uh, like the Adobe illustrator and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was like my current agents were actually instrumental in that because I had sent, samples and had a few things that I just like messed around with an illustrator and they kind of responded to that a bit better. So I realized, okay, I got to learn this, I think. And I think certainly I was seeing the way the industry was going at the time. So, so just from there, it was like this, yeah, I just kind of stopped painting, stopped doing traditional style comics and whatnot. And then just like wanted to learn how to like really utilize the computer in an interesting way that wasn't you know, I, I'm not crazy about digital art and certainly even with vector art that sometimes the flatness I kind of found, even though my stuff is flat and two dimensional, but there's certain, there was a certain way people were doing like vector art that like didn't sit well with me, like this really kind of obnoxious gradients and stuff like that. And so I wanted to kind of just bring in, you know, eventually, you know, a friend of mine who was kind of a, a really good you know, cheerleader type of thing. Like, you know, just bring in, yeah, use your textures that use in your painting. Like, why don't you bring those together? And right. so that's how like it kind of developed. I was able to like squish the two together. Cool. Um, yeah. Cool. You get to sort of do stuff faster with, because of the shapes, because there's, yeah, exactly. What what's created is sort of like this, you know, hieroglyphic shorthand. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Sort of like what is a body? What is a leg? Yeah. What is an arm kind of thing. Like obviously, they are that like it is anatomical and stuff but mm -hmm. it's like you can do like aliens and even the things that are like human aren't necessarily like what people would think of as human it's, yeah it's just sort of an interpretive yeah exactly situation right yeah and it's sort of like yeah literalism has never really interested me so yeah. like you know like you know just have you know you have to you got the ability to do it. Why not just kind of go nuts every now and then? Like, so that was really like, yeah. So things like the arms and, you know, yeah. some of the weirder body shapes and whatnot. Like, and in terms of color and like your paint influence, you got these bold contrasting colors <laughs> usually. And like, usually like the backgrounds are like, fully painted with like you know usually it's like two major colors that contrast yeah. and work together really well yeah yeah and that sort of that came out from that came out of illustration and cool. and like and like I've, you know i've done a bit of graphic design too so that's really like illustration certainly when i started doing posters like having to like learn like the screen printing process like oh yeah like i can only use four colors max so how to utilize it best and you know it's something i'm still learning but like like yeah when you it's it's the interesting thing with the computer is you you have so much at your disposal but like that can it's how to use it effectively versus just going nuts i guess when your style is like so distinct and like this is what you do kind of thing how do clients react to that I've had like very rare occasions where there's there's been animosity, but I think like most of my client base I have built that like 
they've come to me. Right. Like, or if, like if they go through my reps, it's like they're looking for me and maybe like one other person who's similar and stuff like that. And it's kind of like, there's always that like weird back and forth with reps and, and age or clients. And, mm-hmm. but yeah, I think that's sort of like the, you know, sometimes they'll, I'll be asked to dial it back obviously and not get too, too abstract, but I think that's, but that's great. Like I think any good client, if they can, there's like a back and give and take type of back and forth type of thing. That helps me like realize the way to do things more effectively as well. And it's good that they come to you because mm-hmm. you don't you don't have a situation where like people don't know what they're in for. Yeah, exactly. You know I mean? Yeah, like you know everything I do is kind of on my site or it's on my you know agent site or something like that. So yeah, you know it's going to be you know simple, heavily textured, and and it's yeah, it's not the it's not it's like still sort of a style that's in search of a home in a lot of ways. But you know it's something people do like i guess so. well and it's, <laughs> it's distinctly indie like you're always going to be like the indie segment it, it's it's still that punk rock yeah i'm kind, kind of, of I, always see, I always see what we do is kind of a like a in-betweener thing because it's not it's too like sometimes it's too slick for like the zine type right. of world like yeah. like i i don't know if i'd fit in with like the zine dream crowd because uh, it's too artsy uh, no they're like because the, yeah i guess they're more artsy okay. like my stuff might be a bit too slick and commercial and like yeah which is weird and then certainly for like the convention crowd i would be like a complete like fish out of water like that was kind of the fun thing with the story that Corey and i did for um, monstrosity too is like how much like we really stood out in that book was really kind of cool right um because it was yeah it was a bit more indie and like abstract and and whatnot in a slightly more like conventional kind of story nice yeah and that was like Phil McClory. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So he found you guys or yeah, Brian um, Avenue? Or? Um, oh God, why am I blanking on? Uh, Brian. Brian. Yeah. Brian sorry. Yeah. Jeez, sorry, Brian. Yeah. Um, Brian approached Corey and I at uh, Kanzine one year. He was tabling, I guess, when Monstrosity won or maybe the Western books were out. And, right. And he asked us to do something for that. And so, yeah, we had to do a, like, so Corey did like the story pitch and whatnot and they were, they were fine with it, which was great. And weren't too dictating. Like, I guess, yeah, he sort of obviously once again knew what he was getting in for. So, um, cool. Yeah. And monstrosity, I mean, we've talked about it before. We had, we've had Brian on the podcast before Mm. Brian Avenue. He's in one of our earlier episodes. Uh, it's the Deborah Jane Shelley tribute episode. And Monstrosity was basically an anthology of, like, monster stories. Yeah. So, yeah. I just to update to listeners who may have not heard of it. Um, it's a great yeah. Spo- yeah, we were, yeah, the second one was all space stories, which we weren't. And I don't know how we got away with that. Like, But, yeah, it's a, it's a great anthology. <laughs> yeah, totally. It was totally. a really nice um, James Stokoe cover. Yeah. Yeah, like an awesome James Stokoe yeah, cover. Yeah, really, really good. How did you meet Corey McCallum? Like, he seems to be, like, your partner in crime, your full-on collaborator. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's always been the case, but, like, how did you guys come together? I met him I met him in 2010 outside a Friendly Rich show. I don't know if you're familiar with Friendly Rich. No. Uh, he's a local. He's, my like, one of my closest friends. Uh, he's a musician, like, a really, you know, sort of oddball musician. And Corey was helping him out with uh, one of his stage shows. And we just ended up, like, shooting the shit out in front of the show. And, like, I'd sort of known him in passing. Like, he's from Orangeville. So, and used to 
um, used to own a like a punk rock record store in in Orangeville, and I'd gone to that a few times when it was in existence, and we sort of met in passing. And I think sort of he must have known me kind of in that circle, like of Rich's friends and whatnot, and. He's so we kind of we became friends on Facebook right after that, and then a few weeks after that, he's he knew I did art and stuff like that, and he was doing like, wanting to do like a pitch for like a like a comics like a collection of like short stories he had, and one of them was um, uh, Salamander Dunderhead, which is in our bonus tracks collection, uh, which. Um, so he just kind of, he was doing something he wanted to do as a pitch, wanted me to do just like two panels, like pick the panels and, and do those. And, uh, he, he liked, you know, in the end he really liked what I'd done and I liked his writing. Like he has this, cause he's a musician. He does a lot of, he's like, he, he's a singer, um, and also does hip hop. And so he's got a really good, like sense of wordplay and, and whatnot. Yeah. I really noticed, especially in the bonus tracks, which I'll tell the listeners about mm-hmm. eventually. Very lyrical, poetic yeah. way of writing. Yeah, exactly. And and I was doing I was when I was doing the Mr. Monitor strip for for Broken Pencil and I was I didn't like where I was taking it because I was getting I was like it was a strip I think that should have been like done as a series of one offs and I'm terrible at doing one offs. So I was doing this expansive story and at the time they were trying to coordinate it with being like a web strip and printed in the quarterly issue and i sort of i work too slow to do a constant web strip and for the quarterly thing i'd be like you know three or four things ahead and so what they're getting in the issue i don't know it was just this weirdly disjointed thing yeah so it I, was weirdly like yeah so i would read broken pencil and I, i'd be like oh yeah another mr otter but then i wouldn't be able to figure out like where does this yeah exactly stuff yeah i think like it worked yeah it worked better as as one-offs and it was kind of like and and for some reason the web side of things like it was whoever they were doing to getting to do their web stuff was just taking forever to do anything so i'd have like four or five of these parts of the story i was doing banked waiting for them to go up and meanwhile it was like you know it was yeah, it was just this horribly disjointed thing. So I realized I kind of wanted to do something more basic with the character, but like, I'm not, I didn't know what to do. And then sort of, I just asked Corey, like after we like did a couple of the Dunderhead or we had, I had done those Dunderhead samples. Like, do you want to do some stories for like, for this? And he was, you know, he came back with like a bunch of stories. That's the way he works. Like he, he'll like crank out like you know, about 10 things, like within like three days of you asking him and a lot of them are just really good. And so we just, we did that for the, for, so we just basically did that for broken pencil in print and kind of like, yeah, it was a good sort of like reboot of where the character went and whatnot. Cause previous to that, you were, you were writing it. I was writing it. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd started, I'd started it out like sort of once again, like, like I did the early stories where it was written more like a children's book and, I always do the art first and then the writing after I work like I, I work visually more so than as a writer. And yeah, it was just kind of a mess to begin with. And then Lindsay kind of just asked me like, or just told me you should just do it in rhyme. Cause I was pretty decent at doing like, like nursery rhyme limericky type of stories. And so then all of a sudden I was doing like rhyming. It was just, yeah. So it just had no, <laughs> no idea of what it wanted to do. Like, so, so I think Corey like streamlined it really nicely. And then he had an idea for like a long form story, which became the pig sleep. So around 2012, yeah, we just, I did it. We did it over the summer of 2012 in time for T or for Kansi in that year. 
And yeah, it was sort of, it was this really fun kind of expansion of the character. Like, yeah, because he was always a detective character, right? Like when I brought him back, yeah, certainly. Like when I wrote him, when I wrote him in my early zines and 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 whatnot, he was just kind of this cipher for weird stuff happening around him. And I was like, he, I, he never talked. He never, yeah. It was just sort of like he was based on. Like there's a lot of um, indie comics that I guess I read in high school, but usually if it was someone with boy at the end of their name, who were just kind of this in this weird world. And that was how I just saw him like navigating through this weird, bizarre world and an extension of myself, like, and with, it didn't really work that well. Um, And, and yeah, so like I got really, after I got married, I got really into crime fiction. So like, I wanted to bring kind of like a detective element, like, like the character was still an extension of me that like, he just read crime fiction and wanted to become a detective in his traditional detective sense. Not like I wanted to become a detective, but like that, and that's, and so he was, you know, he moved from his you know, small town to the big city because that's where the crime was. And, and that was where that story was going to head. And I think it was just, I was going to make him sort of more of this bumbling type of character. And Corey made him a lot more of this really like competent professional character. And I think that was what was great about it. Like bringing elements that I never really would have. Yeah. It's like really hard boiled, really noir. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like amazing Chandler, like a Chandler esque dialogue. And yeah. And yeah, it's sort of like, you know, there's a lot of, and there's a lot of weirdness to it too, which is great. Like it's abstract and weird. And, you know, it's a 14 page story that like we had some, like, I don't know, someone criticized it online for like wrapping itself up too soon, but it's like, it's a 14 page story. Like we're not telling a Chandler novel here. It's just right. a weird, like short story. Like totally. And, and I mean, I like it because, because the, the art style is so abstract and, and crazy. It's mm-hmm. nice to have like the groundedness of the written yeah. part of it. Yeah. Like, because that'll sort of center you as you're looking at all this like wild. Yeah, exactly. Panels and like all these crazy art stuff and that kind of thing. And then that sort of reminds you, no, no, no. We're talking about like a detective. Yeah. Who's a person like, you know. You know yeah, know exactly. I mean? So yeah. it's really it cool. to be a, you know, a lizard man. In yeah. A, in a, so, but like, but before before I get into that sure. stuff, like how did you first get involved with uh, Broken Pencil? Because that's like a Hal Nidizeki, uh thing, mm-hmm. right? And he started it, I guess, because you know we, Canada needed a magazine for zine. Culture, yeah, exactly. So. Like sort of their Canada's answer to Fact Sheet Five. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So so how did you? get involved with that like i know that you're connected with with Lindsay and mm-hmm. stuff so so w- was that did you meet her first or did you were you involved in broken pencil first or like how did that happen um i wasn't really like in the 90s um i always um sent them my stuff to get reviewed and mm-hmm. they were actually and uh when i first did my first zine fair actually like when i had my first issue out i met hal through dave howard and um, Dave Howard, I think, is involved in the like, Toronto Comics. Yeah, he's the creator of Toronto Comics Jam, yeah. um, or the the founder. Pardon me. And yeah. um, he was doing a, a magazine at the time called Don't Touch Me, um, an anthology, a comic, comics anthology. And so I'd met Dave at a convention a couple of years before I was publishing, and and was picked. I picked up um, 
don't touch me. I was actually the first person to buy it, <laughs> which was, and so we kind of became friends off of that. So he introduced me to Hal at, at Cut and Paste, which was a zine fair that I, the first one I had done. And yeah, Dave's like, you should give him a copy of your, give, you a, co- give him a copy of your zine. And like Hal, Hal was like, yeah, I don't expect a good review or anything like that. But I was just like, you know, like whatever, like, and, but it, shockingly, I got a really like positive feedback from that. And so he reviewed like stuff as I did it. And I, I first became involved with the magazine when I when I started uh, illustrate or breaking into illustration full time. They were one of the few first magazines I'd sent I'd sent um, postcards and stuff out to, and and right. got a response. And so I'd been doing illustration for them for a number of years before Lindsay became editor. Right. And then when Lindsay was editor, that she wanted to do like they wanted to do a comics section. So yeah, I was one of the sort of first people she asked and, you know, it was just her, her way of making me do something. Cause I was like thinking of all these things I wanted to do, but always thinking in terms of like, it's going to be a book or and, like, and I would just let that grind me down. So like, right. she was really like, oh, yeah, we're going to do this. You know, here's your sort of guaranteed section and like, you know, a bit of nepotism at play, but you know, just kind of a good way of forcing me to get back into doing comics again. Yeah. So you were already together before she was editor. Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. We were, okay. we sh- she became editor about a year after we got married. That's so. Cool. That's awesome. That's really good. Mm-hmm. So, so then you, you got that. And like, I think that's how I first was aware of you is like mm-hmm. the dude who always does this comic and broken fences, mm-hmm. Mr. Monitor stuff. And now I'm reading like your the Pig Sleep, which is amazing. That's the the G- Joe Schuster Award winner. Yeah, how was that? I mean, that was yeah, it was kind of shocking. Actually, yeah. <laughs> it was like really unexpected. I mean, we were like there was a fairly strong contingent of people that here, like that were in the Gene Day, like San Yanwar and um, James Clark. And, like and it's like okay, these you know I thought you know these are gonna get it like was you know. was james clark doing evil at yeah it was the first issue of evil i think we were up against at the wow. time and so yeah we're you know we went to the ceremony and we're just like okay you know, it's kind of cool to see what we're doing like projected on the screen or was something. it here in toronto yeah it was at yeah. the at jackman hall okay and then it was just you know well you know you, you kind of go in with lowered expectations and then they said our name and like that's like this complete weird shock and i'm terrible with talking in front of people so i just kind of stammered my way through a thank you speech because i didn't have anything at a time this is like i'm not gonna win anything like you know whatever just, and how was Corey? was he like yeah it was it's better that he talks <laughs> he's you know he was we kept it simple and quick but like yeah like so yeah it was just really just awesome honor you know just you know like and uh you know that's how i met rachel ritchie and you know and yeah, it was just kind of this cool thing. So, you know, we thought, you know, why not plaster like second printings of the book with an acknowledgement that, you know, we had won that and whatnot. And yeah. I mean, you have to. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. And because like people are going to pick it up just by virtue of that. Yeah, exactly. Even if they don't know what the Joe Schuster awards are. <laughs> yeah. Like, Joe Schuster, like the illustrator Superman. Like, yeah. Like, like, yeah. yeah. So like for sure, put that, on, put that on the book. Yeah. All of a sudden it's like, oh, maybe I should pay attention to this. Yeah, precisely. Yeah. yeah. It's sort yeah. of, yeah. Brag if you, brag if you can. Like, for sure. Like every little thing helps. I mean, it takes your career to like, new heights kind yeah, of yeah i think so did you get any like opportunities off of that or um not that i can th- not th- not offhand for sure i mean okay. um i mean i guess maybe the monstrosity thing like right. i'd known i'd met brian at like the comic jam and stuff like that before so we knew each other not very well but i think um certainly 
you know, Brian was at the, at the Schuster ceremony. And so that maybe just kind of, you know, okay, these guys are a bit more legit, I suppose, than, than just a couple of clowns doing a mini comic or whatever. And, right. Right. Um, it always helps when you have a Gene Day award. Yeah, yeah exactly. Roster, <laughs> That's awesome. And yeah, I mean, just because, yeah, we were sort of like, Definitely in that we were, you know, not that the other things were conventional, certainly evil is about as crazy and mixed up, but like, you know, stylistically is this much more accomplished you know, artist than say I am, but like right. doing like this more flat abstract style, I thought was just kind of this, you know, whatever, like, you know, we'll be nominated. People might get to know us. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. That's awesome. That's mm-hmm. really cool. One of the other things that like completely blew my mind when I was reading was your bonus tracks uh, anthology of all the like sort of cutting room floor, like bonus stuff, stuff that like fit into other things that you did Mm -hmm. wasn't quite fitting into like other projects and that sort of thing. I mean, the bonus tracks thing, particularly when you did comics based on like musical techniques, like technical styles of music. Yeah. For example, like think of like the carol like mm-hmm. the Chris- like the christmas carol but it's a ca- just a carol carol can be christmas or non christmas it doesn't really matter yeah. but that's like a musical style and they broke down the principles of that musical style and represented them as a comic mm-hmm. it's it's really crazy <laughs> yeah that's Corey's brain at and, work <laughs> and, it, and it made it made me think like oh my god like this is a- and not like you know, a bunch of people ca- caroling. Yeah. Not like literally, we're going to do a comic about a carol. No, 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 no. Like it's about the principles of what makes what a, carol a carol a carol. Yeah. You know, like musically. And we're going to represent that in comics somehow. Mostly not in a literal sense, but in a very like metaphoric yeah. sense. Right. Yeah. Not like a, you know, I'm going to like structure it like, like a carol or like, I'm going to, I'm going to show you like people conducting or whatever. <laughs> no, 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 no. Like a metaphoric yeah. sense. So you see Here's stuff we that apply like this musical. you wouldn't immediately associate with like a musical style yeah but because the description of how that musical style works is there along with the comic and it just says carol and then it you read like what the musical style is and how it works and then you read the comic and you go ah and your synapses sort of put it together kind of thing yeah exactly so like that was like Mind blowing. I was like, oh my God, the whole thing should have been this musical. Like, you could do an anthology just on like weird musical styles as comics. I think he thought, I think it was something Corey thought of. Like, he's got a lot of, he knows a lot of these concepts and probably beyond like what we put in there, we could probably do more of. Um, cause yeah, in between the pig sleep and Errol dynamic, we did, um, like a, a comic, um, called the crab cannon, which was based around a Bach composition, which is a palindrome, a musical palindrome. Right. And so we did it as this like poster sized fold out comic that read the same forward and backwards and had this central location of a record store and had, you know, the first little half had two people entering it and their, their conversation and then the second half had two people exiting and it was that conversation backwards and how it like reading it backwards tells a completely different story than forwards. But like, yeah, it was just like, like really 
amazing. Like I never knew about these musical concepts till Corey like told me about them. Yeah, but, and, like and in these comics, know. like they're experimenting with like the way you read a comic. Yeah. Like sometimes like the the order in which you read something has to be like very directionally, yeah. and purposely thought out. And stuff because you don't know like which panel goes with which. Thing yeah, exactly. So, it's so almost I'm the tempo of I'm this. following your like actual lines of like which route I'm supposed to take <laughs> when, I, when I'm reading it and stuff. So it's not just like experiments in contact, but it's like experiments in form mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. So like that, like in, insane that like fit with this musical style. Yeah, that was the, that was the fun of it. Yeah, because. Yeah, yeah, we were approached by um, I was um, Jonathan. You know Jonathan Rothstein? Probably, no. Um, he, him, and um, someone else whose name slips me right now. Um, they were working for um, Luminato at the time and um, asked us if we wanted to do a strip for the late news newspaper that's every day for Luminato. Right. And yeah, so we agreed to do it, and like that was yeah that that was sort of the concept Corey came up with in the end and and it worked perfectly kind of within the context of this arts festival that's about music and art and the you know the the coalescing of the two so the strip was a really great like kind of encapsulation of that and yeah like really amazing and i mean like they don't have anything to do with each other in this term in terms of it's not like a continuing story no yeah but in terms of the, the theme like the general theme of like musical styles represented as comic yeah definitely they're part of a series mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. thing so it's just really crazy and it's it's probably the most unique thing that i've seen oh, from like an you. independent <laughs> uh toronto artist that we've that we've had on so i'm like i gotta ask <laughs> because because it takes a lot of probably a lot of planning and organization to put that kind of thing together yeah how, definitely. how do you like discuss it what has to happen in order for you to like represent these styles particularly if you don't know yeah about exactly them ahead of time like Corey gave me uh cory sent me Corey would send me the the scripts for each thing. Like he sent me all like in one thing, and he'd kind of have descript. And he's really good for descriptors of like, okay, what goes on here, or how you can approach it. So, a lot of it was it was me as an illustrator, definitely kind of adapting what you know what was coming out of his head in a lot of ways, and then adding my own little flourishes here and there. But it was really sort of following, you know, his mindset to a T. Cause I mean, yeah, I knew nothing about these concepts either. Um, so a lot, yeah, I had to be really explained to me. And, um, so he but, explained to you like nuances that didn't even appear on the page. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So it'd be like, you know, yeah, we'll put the descriptor first or underneath or however it would run and stuff like that. I think like we did the first, we did the first script without, without, a, without a descriptor. And we added that when we when we collected it, and I think like after that first trip, it's like okay, yeah, we need a descriptor because I don't think people will get what's going on, right. and yeah, so we started running the descriptors, and then you know how the dialogue or or the or the page would fit into it, and right. I mean, I had sort of, I mean, it wasn't like dictated or anything like that I had free range free reign to uh, you know adapt it however I saw fit. Yeah, like within the, the laws. Of yeah, the, of exactly. The thing, right. Yeah. 
That's cool. So there's a lot of just kind of like, as I do it, I, you know, do a lot of back and forth with him, you know, it's this doing it like type of thing and get yeah. his feedback on everything. And yeah. Or he'd be like, it. that's not quite it. This yeah, exactly. It. Like, yeah. Whatever. Okay. Or, or I'd be like, what the heck are you talking about here? I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't grasp this at all. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so a bit of, a bit of clarity. <laughs> totally. And also one of the unique things in the work that I read that you sent me was, there was a point where you did a bunch of comics where like you switched roles where he did the art and you did the writing. Yeah. Yeah. That was, yeah, it was something we wanted, we thought of doing more of, but I didn't have enough stories of my own banked. So like, that's why we got the one in, in the book and it's, yeah, he's always always sort of like pushing me like do something. Yeah. Come on. Let me illustrate something like, uh, Was he always somebody that could illustrate? Because that's pretty unique too. Like you mm-hmm. have a writer who can who can also illustrate. Yeah, I mean, his yeah, his stuff's not it's not as re- refined as mine. But he's yeah, like he it's a good strip actually. I was like when he sent it to me, like I mean, he'd send me a few strips that he'd done too. Like he's yeah, he knows what he's doing. Um, and because I mean, even um, with Errol Dynamic, he did he sent me like layouts when he planned the story and whatnot. Right. I mean, they're very rudimentary type layouts, but they made sense and helped like guide the story and whatnot. Um, so yeah, he's got a, certainly got a head for the, the drawing as well as the writing. <laughs> so let's talk about aerodynamic because hmm. aerodynamic, you got to tell the listeners and maybe we'll even put it in the episode, but aerodynamic has its own theme song. Yes. And podcasting yeah. is like an, audio media yeah <laughs> so i feel like we gotta play it yeah i think so yeah. in here it, you know it, what it I mean? needs to be heard by the people yeah yeah it needs to be heard by the people like literally if you read the aerodynamic comic which is about sort of like this space captain adventurer mm-hmm. dude he has his own theme song yeah like, like full-on like sci-fi cartoon theme yeah exactly which you can then get at like bandcamp yeah. com or, or one of those places right yeah there's a there's an address in the front page of the book yeah with, yeah with the lyrics and... i know it's like it's like super crazy <laughs> Here, like it's crazy because like and there's a part in the in the middle of the book that there's a there's a prompt that you you can start playing the song along with so we wanted to kind of do something a bit more interactive. Really? Like, yeah. so, so you're reading along and then you're like, oh, this is where I play the song. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. There's, a, there's, a, there's a point in the middle when he's, when he's suiting up and there's a, like just a musical note. And that's where I, I, I don't, we didn't make it 100% clear, but usually like if I'm selling it at a, at a zine fair or something like that, it's like, oh, okay, at this point in the book, that's when you, you know, you'll okay. see that. You know, so, so why don't we play it at this point in the podcast then? Okay. Why don't we pause for a sec? Sure. Let the people listen to the song and then we'll come back and we'll talk about uh, Errol Dynamic. Sure. Born 21, 
47-inch academy Kid daydreaming of a cream of the academy Blessed with math skills and logic so practical Every move tactical to go into galactical Half-stepping aliens get marked by his lasers and tasers Matter discombobulating phasers He's got more swagger than a three-legged horse He's got six purple hearts and a messy divorce more planets than a keener, more astrology Sharper than a knife, it never comes off to college Confusion is fusion, leaves his enemies in G-Jail Staring at the B-Bars, filling up the P-Pails Witness the fitness in the universe, he's peerless Chump rebel alien, stumped by the fearless Laser shield wielder, quick with the cleavers Butler pop mops, the blood drops of non-believers dynamic, he ain't your papa's Cosmonauts, a quiet rage there, seething, dynamic, his mission ain't no me thing, nothing but a zero-G thing. Check your local newspaper for the times of the broadcasts on this station. Okay, cool, we're back. Uh, if you want to download that, you can find it at Errol Dynamic, E-R-R-O-L Dynamic dot Bandcamp dot com. But tell me a bit about this character, because it seems like he is like this crazy, like Captain Kirk kicked up to 11 sort of sort Yeah, of kind of. Yeah, it's sort of, it was a story Corey had, um, yeah, a space opera story he had about, yeah, just kind of a washed up Flash Gordon, Flash Gordon Buck Rogers type of character who's, you know, horrifically egocentric and has obvious anger issues. And um, I was, I was, it was actually, it was a character name I had and he had the story. So it was kind of this nice, like, like he's I got this space story and I guess like I said, I got this space character. So oddly, like, you know, so he was, you know, we were able to squish the two together and, yeah, it was just kind of like, you know, a play on the term aerodynamic and, you know, it just, you know, punny type of silly name and stuff like that. But yeah, it's a really incredibly dark story. <laughs> um, yeah, it definitely mm. goes places like I wasn't really yeah, expecting yeah. it to go. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, which is you're like, like, oh, like this dude's totally going to like conquer like and do what he needs to do and go on the mission and not really. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah he's just sort of like. As we'd said in an interview he did around the time it came out, you know, he's just like, yeah, he's not a hero. He's really, like, pathetic. Like, just a terrible character. <laughs> like, um, and he just has this inflated sense of self. And, you know, a lot of it's about him. You know, he's his wife has left him. And obviously, it's, you know, he's pining over her. But it's, you know, obviously, like, this kind of more of this obsessive form of love. Because it's just... You know, it's just more of a, a blow to his ego than actually anything else. And so... Well, and speaking of his ego, like, the, the spaceship is shaped like an E. Yeah. So, like, yeah. it's full-on, like, ego on display. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, there's, you know, when he's lying there in his boxer shorts, they all have his, like, logo on it. And his robot butler has an E-shaped head. You know, it's just... <laughs> yeah, like, it's just... That's the way we saw it was this, like, yeah, ridiculously <laughs> inflated sense of self. <laughs> and obviously you know, probably at this point not needed and whatnot. And then, yeah, so something happens that finally gives him a sense to, 
you know, a sense of importance again, but that's kind of kiboshed at the end. So is it going to be like a continuing thing? No, it's a one and done. One and done. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's kind of the way, the way we sort of approach our stories, like. Except for Mr. Monitor. Mr. Monitor. Yeah. Like we've pulled him out a few times since, but, and I think like Corey had a few ideas for things that like uh, didn't end up happening, but I think we're, yeah, we're sort of, and even if there was like, further Mr. Monitor stories, they wouldn't connect. It would just right. be like little one-offs and stuff okay, like that. Okay. Like we're more like, yeah, we're just more interested in, you know, single issue stories or like single page stories or short stories, like then like an ongoing type of thing. And, right. Um, so what are you working on now? I'm working on a, a, a book myself. I'm actually going back to the musical thing. Um, I just started last week um, um, an adaptation of uh, lyrics of this band, Ronaldo and the Loaf, uh, who are um, it's kind of abs- like abstracting like new wave band um, uh, who are contemporaries of the band, The Residents. And I was like a big fan of theirs um, through my 20s and up. I know I just always... Like, I always liked their lyrics because they were, like, little stories. And I kind of wanted to adapt them for the longest time and then just just finally got around to it recently. I think after I, I we'd published um, the the Yule Lads book that Lindsay and I did together that was, like, yeah, kind of wanting to do stuff in this format. And I think it, in, like, that smaller book format. And I think these stories worked nicely with that. So Tell us about the Yule Lads. Um, it was a sort of children's book that Lindsay and I children's book slash guidebook um uh which pertains to like icelandic folklore because we're both we both visited iceland multiple times like we both obviously we have because we're a couple (laughs) um but we visited iceland multiple times and just sort of really became interested in the, the country as a whole and so within icelandic folklore around the the 13 days leading up to christmas that there's a series of yule lads who are kind of like these trollish type figures who caused mayhem and so um last year online i just decided to do like visual visual adaptations of each character on my blog and whatnot leading up to christmas and then we and i just decided to collect it this year and then you know shoehorn Lindsay into doing the writing that's awesome yeah yeah because like Lindsay's contribution can't be understated i mean Mm -hmm. even in the comics that i read like she did a lot of the lettering on the pig sleeve and stuff like that and probably edited a lot of your stuff yeah she's she's been like a good sounding board like yeah that um yeah just what works and what doesn't like i have to sort of like step out of my own head if it makes sense to me it might not make sense to everyone else out there right she sort of institutes the discipline a little yeah yeah yeah, her her skill as editor (laughs) and um yeah exactly with the yule lads like you know she she's got like a really great writing style that's descriptive and funny and and i think she yeah she added like a a nice sense of life to it and that's cool and um so we're hoping to like work on another book this year as well in icelandic folklore it's always nice when you have like you can create like a creative couple like it's someone like you guys are both into like independent diyz yeah and comics and stuff so that's that's always kind of nice because then you can like collaborate yeah exactly business sort of thing yeah she was like when we met she was you know doing her own zines and stuff like that and i was doing zines so it was like um 
yeah, it was just kind of an interesting match, especially for two, like there weren't a lot of people in Brampton doing zines, right. but for, you know, two of us to kind of hook up, that was kind of cool. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So like, did you meet in your like twenties or high school? Or, uh, I met, or? yeah, she was, I was in my twenties and she was in her late teens at the time. Cool. Um, and yeah, she'd been doing, she'd been doing zines probably when she was about 15. I think she put her first zine out. So that's awesome. Yeah. Hers was more like a perzine type of like about like, like, you know, just her daily goings on and also just write ups on the Brampton music community and stuff like that. Yeah. Like so. some people are built to be like broken pencil editor. Yeah, exactly. That's her dream job. It's like, you know, in her job right now at OCAD, like she's yeah. like, you know, helping to curate the zine library at OCAD. Like that's, this is that's, that's amazing. Everything, you know, librarian, like being a librarian and, and zines, like, yeah, why the heck not? <laughs> yeah, totally. Because how many zine jobs are out there? Yeah, really, exactly. You know? So you super, super luck out. Yeah. Sure. awesome like well this has been really awesome um i'm uh, i'm looking forward to like all the other stuff that you got going on and i'm sure our listeners are too so where can they sort of follow your career and find you and stuff um yeah they can find me um on instagram at shiny pliers s-h-i-n-y-p-l-i-e-r-s right because you're the pliers in the plier pants yes yeah right? Corey's that, the pants part <laughs> that's, that's the company that you guys put yeah. together yeah cool um and um and my Etsy page, which is uh, Shiny Players Art, um, I will be. I haven't put my comics up there yet, but they will be going up. Um, but um, yeah, that's where I can, I, you can purchase art, um, prints, and the like. And um, yeah, shinyplayers.com is the main website. And uh, yeah, on Facebook at Shiny Players as well. That's awesome. Yeah. And uh, don't forget that some of the comics that we've discussed. Uh, the pig sleep are available on Comixology as well. Yep. And so, in Toronto at page and panel at the moment. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So yeah, if you don't live, in, if you live in Toronto, go to page and panel, great store mm-hmm. uh, near the Toronto reference library on young and Bloor. And if you don't uh, check them out at Comixology or order them directly from, uh, from your website. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Well, uh, thanks for coming in. Thank you for having uh, me. (laughs) Don't forget to uh, like us on Facebook and follow us on social media at SpeechBubblePod. You can also check out some of the other great shows on Never Sleeps Network, NeverSleepsNetwork.com. We got Talk and Wrestling, which is all about professional wrestling. We've got Extreme, which is all about video games. And then, of course, you know, the next episode of Speech Bubble when it comes out in about two weeks. Uh, Until then, we'll see you next time on Speech Bubble. This has been Speech Bubble. See you in the future, friends. Never Sleeps Network. This has been a Never Sleeps Network production, executive produced by Alex Ross. For more information and content, visit NeverSleepsNetwork.com. Hey again, fanboys and fangirls. Aaron Broverman here. Thank you for listening to Speech Bubble on Never Sleeps Network. I wanted you to know that NSN features other amazing podcasts created right here in Toronto. Comedy and wrestling fans, check out Casey Corbin's wrestling podcast, Talk and Wrestling, here on NeverSleepsNetwork.com. Thanks for listening.